It's me. It's me. It's the D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James. And by my side, as always, is that B-A-double-D-A-double crooked letter, badass Billy Gunn. Together we are the New Age Outlaws. And you're listening to the VOC Nation. And if you ain't down with that, he's got two words for you. Suck it. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the host and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer, the Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling With History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course, In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum, The Maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOC Nation. My name is C.T. McManus, and for the next two hours, it's my job to get your mind off the world out there and refocus in on some good old-fashioned rock and roll. We have a phenomenal show for you this evening, guys. Very, very excited to bring out Brian Forsythe, the legendary guitar player for both Rhino Bucket and Kicks. Really excited to talk to him, man. It's going to be a great time. Uh, glad you're aboard. Wanted to give a shout-out to my uh, to my boy in Phoenix Custom Printing. Guys, any of your rock merchandise that you need to have to prepare for uh, upcoming shows once everything breaks through and if you're playing shows now, Phoenix Custom Printing is the place to go, guys. They have everything you could imagine available. And if you mention to them that you're a Rock and Roll Union member, you get 20% off your entire order. That phone number is 410-206-2081. Once again, that phone number is 
1-800-242-2081, or you can reach them on uh, email, phoenixcustominc at gmail.com. Guys, a lot of good stuff coming up on board. Uh, we've been mentioning it on the Facebook page. A lot of uh, bigger names coming up that you guys are going to want to be here for. So just remember, if you miss any of the episodes, you're able to find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find your your favorite podcasts. So uh, just another little heads up. Uh, we're coming up into February, which means that is our third birthday. Uh, the Rock and Roll Union, in lieu of having a big birthday bash because of COVID, we decided that we're doing things a little bit differently this year. There's going to be a major contest dropped on February 1st. You're going to want to keep an eye out for that with a lot of uh, a lot of prizes and some good stuff in store for that one. So you guys are definitely going to want part. It, it's going to be a fun time for that. And uh, in honor of Brian coming on, here's a little kicks now with Don't Close Your Eyes.
Hey, this is a total package. Lex Luger, you're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. Check out In the Room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kathy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you and Ray are there too, right, Ray? We sure are. And we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, pregnant. I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Wrestling with history. The voice of choice and killer can resonate. When I die, they're going to open me up and find about 2,000 undigested Northwest Airline cheese omelets. Mr. Chris Cruz, what's going on? Jesus, how did I get roped into this? General Adnan went to school with Saddam Hussein. He cried, I cried, he cried, and who could have cried? Adnan lost a lot of family in the Iraqi war. Everybody loves Granny. Wow. Yeah, see, a lot of people don't know that. Yes, Dylan, you guys are busting me up. Catch Wrestling With History with Ken Resnick and I live on VOCNation.com Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern Time or listen to the podcast by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Stadium Journey, the worldwide leader in stadium reviews for the traveling sports fan, is proud to present the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Join us as we talk with prominent figures from around the sports world to discuss issues pertaining to sports travel and stadiums around the globe. New episodes air on VOC Nation Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Join Paul Baker, Dave Cartney, Mark Viquez, Dan Calachico, and guests from throughout the sports world on the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out, VOCNation.com, WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation radio network. Yo, this is Jerry Stein of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs, here yeah, you get ready to get nasty. Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby, because it's about to get nasty all around and up in this mother. Get ready. Nasty sensation is coming at you. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network. Welcome back to the Rock and Roll Union Podcast, guys. And like I said, tonight we are being joined by Brian Forsyth, man. Going to be a great interview. Uh, Really looking forward to talking to Brian about all his history with kicks and Rhino Bucket and uh, what he's been doing since the world stopped. So uh, we'll be talking all that. But uh, for now, we're going to go ahead and listen to Rhino Bucket beat to death like a dog.
Segundo by Rhino Bucket. Guys, it is my extreme honor and pleasure to welcome Mr. Brian Forsythe to the Rock and Roll Union. Brian, you with us? Yes, I am. Hey, man, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, got a lot of stuff I want to talk to you about, but uh, how have you been through this whole uh, crisis and ever since the world stopped? How have you been keeping time? Well, I've got a lot of free time. <laughs> well, actually, it started out with a lot of free time, but then I figured out how to fill it. So now I'm like getting behind on everything. But uh, for me, it was kind of nice to have some time off. <laughs> I believe it. And I know you guys are constantly touring, constantly doing shows. And uh, as far as this whole pandemic has been concerned, um, do you think there's any light at the end of the tunnel? Do you think there's any positives to take away from all this? Uh, well, I think the light at the end of the tunnel is there. Uh, I mean, we still have dates on the calendar, and it's mostly dates from this past year pushed into this year. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I still have my fingers crossed whether as to whether we'll actually do the dates. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, – yeah, I mean, I'm sure eventually we'll be able to play again. We did have a – there were like a handful of shows that we got to do in 2020 um, that just sort of popped up after our, our calendar got wiped clean. <laughs> so yeah, I we hear did it. Get to play, we did get to play a few shows. Good, man. That's, and it's it, – I mean, as a fan, it gets a little frustrating waiting for that live connection again. So I'm sure as a band, it's – probably just as bad if not worse but uh i, I want to discuss so much about uh, your career and uh i wanted to start from the very beginning uh after being together for a very short time you guys were uh were signed early on how did that come about and uh what did you contribute to it as far as uh several other bands on the circuit i'm sure were vying for that competition uh what made kick stand out at that point uh, yeah, I guess we did kind of get it, get get the um, get signed pretty quickly, because uh, we we finally got the full lineup. We got Jimmy and Steve. I guess it was uh, either late. No, it was probably in '79. So, you know, and then we got signed in '81. But the way that we did it was uh, there was another band in Baltimore called Face Dancer that 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 had a record out on Capitol. Uh, so we pursued their manager and we got their manager to manage us. And nice. he's the one that got us the record deal. That's awesome. And he, well, well here's, ahead, a, here's an interesting, th this is how we actually got it was, uh, you know, we, we had some formal demos that we had recorded, but, but our manager, well, well we had a habit of um, taping every show. We video, I mean, cassette, started out with just cassette recordings in the old days. Like our sound oh, man yeah. had a cassette <laughs> re recorder at the soundboard and he would stick a cassette in at the beginning of every night and we'd record the shows and then we could listen back and see where we needed to fix stuff. And well, when our manager came, started coming around, he started taking those tapes and just sending those live board tapes out. And that's how we got signed from a live tape. Wow. And not only do you guys get signed, you're you're given free reigns to that first album 
to do it any way that you guys want to do it. Um, which is a, it's a bit of a gamble as far as a label is concerned. What made them feel as comfortable as they did to just let you guys run with it? <laughs> that That's actually a good question. <laughs> but uh, I, I think it was just that, um, I, I, you know, they sent the A&R guy down to check us out at a club in Waldorf, Maryland. And, and uh, I think he just saw the energy that we had live and they figured that, they could try to capture that on the first record. So that's pretty much how that happened, I think. And then I guess once we did that, then they tried to take control after that. But, <laughs> but yeah. they just, yeah, they just kind of let us go on that first one. Now, uh, on the second album, uh, you guys follow the freshman release with cool kids and the label takes over, like you were saying a little bit more uh, due to the sales of the first one. Were you guys disheartened by them getting involved with that? And did it kind of take away from the feel of the first album for you guys? Yeah, they, they, um, they were trying to encourage us to write singles, you know, that whole thing. And, and, uh, at first, you know, we just thought that's the way it, it was. Cause you know, it was all our, all of our, uh, first record contracts. So we didn't, we weren't sure how we were still trying to figure out how to play the game, you know, and, and we just figured that's the way you do it. So we went along with them, but then once the record was done, you know, and pyromania came out and we're going, Oh man, you know, that's, the, that's the record we should have made, you know, after making cool kids, which, you know, there's still some good songs on that record, but we were disappointed with it. We, we just thought it was a little bit kind of wimpy and poppy yeah, I hear you. I mean, did you guys feel like it wasn't your stuff because you had so much of them putting their self into it as far as well, writing have, and things like that? Yeah, well, we did. We had three outside songs that, that uh, we did, you know, like Cool Kids, Body Talk, and, and Burning Love were, were outside songs, which are – that's a lot of songs for one record, I think. Right. <laughs> But I I think all of our own stuff that we had, it was still kicks. Hell yeah. Now, uh, Midnight Dynamite comes next. Uh, there were several writers who contributed, including Kip Winger, John Palumbo, and uh, the the album just uh, celebrated its 35th anniversary and was given a remixed release, which just came out. Uh, was it just the anniversary that made you guys want to put this out, or is this a favorite of the band's? What what made that album special for you guys? Um, well, it was partially the, the anniversary, but the other thing was, um, you know, Bo Hill was had been coming around like when we'd play. He, he lives in Austin, so when we would play anywhere down in Texas, he would come to the shows and hang out, and and he, he would talk to us. And this was before he even did Blow My Fuse. He he was talking about wanting to re- try to remix. Like, uh, well, blow my fuse for one thing, and then, uh, and after he did that, he, he he was like, well, let, you know, I would love to do Midnight Dynamite again, and nobody thought about, and we, we just figured that, uh, you know, blow my fuse did have a few issues with the with the mix, so, um, you know, that that was kind of a no brainer, but we figured that, you know, Bo was proud of the Midnight Dynamite one, so we were surprised when he he wanted to remix it and I wasn't actually there when they talked about it, but it was Steve and Steve 
Jimmy and Mark, I think, were at the hotel bar with Bo when he brought it up, and and uh, and they go, really? We thought that that record was already as good as it could get, and yeah. and Bo goes, no, I think I can beat that mix. So that's how that came around. So he, you know, I think Bo really wanted to do that. He's been wanting to do that since since he recorded it. That's awesome. And uh, then the fourth album is the one that changes everything for you guys. Uh, Blow my fuse. And uh, but it it didn't start out like that as far as uh, as far as it being widely distributed the way that it was, or being as big of an album as it was for you guys. What do you remember most about that time? And did you guys really think that this is the next one? Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, it was weird because with each record that we recorded, uh, we, you know, it got, it kept getting better. The songs were better and, and we had new management for Blow My Fuse. So yeah, we felt that we were sort of getting to the next step when we did that record. Uh, and, you know, we did have success before Don't Close Your Eyes. You know, we had, um, Cold Blood on MTV and it, it, ended up being like the most requested video and all this stuff. So, so that was good up to that point. And, uh, and it wasn't until right at the end when we were doing that Tesla great white tour, uh, the, the record company sort they informed us that, that it was, they weren't going to give us any more tour support and that we had to start thinking about the new record and, they were kind of it was over for that record at that point but uh i'm sure you've heard the story um great white's manager alan niven heard us doing don't close your eyes every night and and one night when our our manager was at the sh- at one of the shows he asked them he goes how come that's never been released as a single you know and and i guess our manager had asked about it but atlantic goes now nah, you know the record's done you know start thinking about the next one so alan niven and at the time, you know, he had Great White, but he also had Guns N' Roses. So he was this huge, you know, he had all this clout. <laughs> so uh, right. he goes, you, would you mind if I ask them? And and so our our manager said, yeah, be my guest. And he went and he went to Atlantic and told them that they'd be crazy if they didn't release that song. And they and they listened to him. And you know, if it weren't for him, that song would have never have been a single. So it's right. crazy how record – it's weird how record companies, you know, sometimes they just don't – they're just not paying attention sometimes. Now, uh, at that time, I mean, there were so many so many ballads at that point, uh, different bands doing ballads. But what stood out was the meaning behind Don't Close Your Eyes. And was that something that you guys kind of held special to is something that, I mean, it definitely for, for the fans, it differentiates it from any other kind of ballad that was out at that time. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, um, well, Donnie wrote it. So it was, it was more personal to him. So, you know, right. I can't really say what inspired it or, or anything like that. I mean, you'd have to ask him, <laughs> but and uh, so uh, the industry is completely different today, and the big labels are gone. Artists have more control, be it good or bad, over their music. And uh, sales, bookings, et cetera, they have all rain on that now. And do you think this is a good 
do you think this is something good or is it bad? Because though Blow My Fuse was a great success, eventually reaching double platinum status, you guys owed a lot of money to the record industry at that point. Um, do you think the the rules have how they have changed are better for the scene or was it better with the labels? Do you think? Hmm. That's a good question. You know, there was some, some good stuff about the labels. Um, yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff too. <laughs> it's hard to, it's hard to say because, uh, yeah, bands have more musical freedom now, but the problem is, um, they don't have the finance finances, you know, right. to back it up. Like, like you do with a record company. But you know, but then again, the record company is like a loan shark. <laughs> you know, yeah. once they once you sign, it's like you, you know you're signing your life away, and you hardly get anything out of it, and they get everything. You know, so it seems like a good idea, but they do put you, you know, they do put the money up for the records and the producers and all that stuff. And now it's like, uh, you know, unless a unless a band has like rich parents or 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 you know, somebody that's willing to invest in them, it, it's hard to, to get all that stuff in place. But, you know, and but then again, like home recordings are a lot easier now because of the technology with Pro Tools and all that stuff. So a lot of people have home studios and they can put out music that, you know, it sounds like it was done in a studio. So I don't know. There's It's all over the place. It's hard to like, uh, I mean, it's so different now. Yeah, that um, I can't can't hardly even wrap my head around it sometimes. <laughs> now, I, the one thing that I hear constantly, and we we've talked about it many times on this show before, was the difference of how things are in the United States versus things overseas. I know uh, you talked in great lengths be- uh, previously about your first tour in Japan, and uh, you guys loved being there. Is it still the same way? Is 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 overseas better as far as you're concerned, as far as the rock scene? Uh, well, I haven't been to Japan for a while, but uh, I have been over to Europe several times with Rhino Bucket. And, uh, yes, it's way different over there. You can, like, especially a place like Germany, you can, uh, you can play seven nights a week and uh and fill the club like here in the united states you're lucky to get weekend gigs and yeah yeah it's it's a lot harder here here in the united states to tour and uh i wanted to go back uh to the the next album that came out was Hotwire, and things started falling apart around that time uh you started playing with folks outside the band but you had uh also developed a bad drug habit that you've spoken about before. Um, I, I personally have lost two older brothers to drug addiction, so I know the whole gamut of that. Uh, what did, what were you looking like at, at those times, and what, like, how much were you taking at that time that you that you got kind of felt like you hit rock bottom? Well, it was actually wasn't until I left the band that all that kind of happened. Gotcha. Uh, with Hotwire, I was still um, actually Ronnie. Uh, right, right around uh, when Blow My Fuse came out, Ronnie got sober, and uh, him and I were kind of roommates on the road. We, we, you know, we'd share a hotel room. So 
I actually stopped doing drugs and drinking right around the same time Ronnie did in '89. Uh, awesome. Even though he, even though he was like, uh, you know, he he went through the twelve step recovery and all that stuff. I was just hanging on by, I was white knuckling it the whole time. But but I was I ha- I didn't drink for like four and a half years. I didn't take any wow. drugs until until I left the band and I wasn't around Ronnie anymore. And I was out in LA on my own and, you know, I was uneducated about the disease and all that stuff. So that all happened after Hotwire. Gotcha. But you would say, uh, uh, from what you just said, it's that having that support person is critical for anyone looking to get off. Yeah, it's always good to have somebody around that uh, somebody you can hang with that's also sober. I mean that that saved me after I finally did get sober in '98. Uh, um, I, I remember when I the first few times I went out to see bands at clubs, I was like terrified. So I would take another guy, a sober guy, with me, and we would just hang out together. So that really helps, yeah. And uh, so you guys. Uh... You reunited in 2003, which is already 18 years ago. It's unbelievable to think about that. Uh, how did the reunion happen, and how has it been since you guys have been together? I mean, 18 years. You guys basically had two two different careers at this point. Yeah, you know, it's crazy because when I left the band in 93, it had been 18 years for me. That's how long wow. I've been in the band. <laughs> so, yeah, it's crazy to think that now it's another 18 years, but uh, – yeah, that that whole uh, between '93 and 2003, I did I did go back and do the show business record, but as a hired outside person, I wasn't part of the band at that point. But right, yeah. After that, I just forgot about Kicks. Like people would say, "Hey, what band? What bands you play in?" And I, whatever current band I was in at the time, like out in L.A., uh, I just say that, like you know, I was in a blues band called the Purple Gang. So. If, you know, and I think they they thought I was the guy from Kicks, but they weren't sure. And then I they go, "What band did you play with?" And I go, "Oh, the Purple Gang." And they just look at me and go, oh, "I never heard of them." <laughs> but uh, so I kind of just uh, I kind of just forgot about the whole Kicks thing for the longest time. I, I you know I I just never thought that it would ever come back around. And then at some point, I talked to Steve, or Steve called me and wanted to know if. Um, well, well, at that point, he had Funny Money together, and Ronnie – well, he, Ronnie's got the, his band, the Blues Vultures, and they used to play shows together. And at the end of the night, Ronnie would jump up on stage with Steve and Jimmy, and they would run through a few kick songs, and the crowd would go crazy. So Steve calls me up and goes, hey – he goes, what would you think about like flying back here and – like showing up at one of those gigs and, and like as a surprise and just jump up there when Ronnie comes up on stage and we could sort of do this little reunion thing. And he, he said that the, the promoters were willing to pay a little bonus money if, if I could do that. And that, so that's how the idea started. It didn't actually happen that way, but it did get us talking. And it, finally Steve and I were just like, well, why don't we just try it for real? Like put it back together so that's what that's how it happened, and it ended up uh, our first shows were during the holidays at um, um, 2003, and and uh, and at that point we weren't sure if we should call it Kicks or not. 
so we were calling it uh, what were we calling it four fifths of kicks, <laughs> and it was just it was just a reunion show, and it was just we just did it. We thought, well, let's just do it and see if it's like just have some fun and make a little bit of money, and uh, so it was just sort of like you know we thought we'd do a few shows and that'd be it, but every time we did a show, it was just jam packed, sold out. So we just kept extending it. Like we did the holidays in 2003, then we did another bunch of shows in in the fall of 2004, and then another holiday run, and and it just kept going like that. And we kept waiting for the other shoe to drop, but it never did. It just kept getting bigger and bigger. So we expanded and got a real booking agent, and then he sent us out, you know, outside the area, and we started playing out, you know, all over the place, and it just expanded from there and and, i mean we were really surprised and we're still surprised you know it's it's amazing that it's still going and i mean talking about shows i want to uh pick your brain a little bit about the whole m3 festival and uh you guys headline every friday night of the festival and from Mm -hmm. you know some of us fans talk and one of the things i remember when i first started going to the festival was that you guys had a hand in helping to create that. Is there any truth to that? Uh, you mean the whole M3 festival? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, well, I mean, we were, we were part of it from the beginning, but I, we didn't really help create it or anything, but we did, I guess, I guess, uh, we kind of gave him a reason to add that Friday night. Cause at first it was just a Saturday. Gotcha. And um, and we we every time we play, we'd pack them in, and then when we get off stage, the crowd would like thin out. <laughs> so oh, they thought, man. huh, like we should you know give those guys a you know a headlining slot on the Friday. So that's how that that came around. Well, it was. I mean, you that's your hometown. That's where Kick started. I think that's the whole allure for you guys that night, and it, it's me from not being from that area it it is really nice to see you guys friday night and uh any thoughts on hopefully when we get back to m3 i mean do you have any prediction i mean they're hopefully doing it this year but i mean nobody can nail down anything right now i know i know it's 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 crazy everything's up in the air um that is actually on the calendar but you know, who knows what will happen when it gets closer because that's sort of how it's been going. When we get about a month out, then stuff starts getting moved again. So, uh, yeah, you just never know. It's hard to plan ahead these days. Yeah, it, it really is. And I, I've seen it firsthand shows that are set up or taken down the next day, and it's frustrating right now. But I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Rhino Bucket. And what okay. made Rhino Bucket such a separate escape, kind of, for you? And what made that band different than Kicks? Uh, that is, that's a good question, too. Um, well, I had been playing during the 90s. I was, like I mentioned, that, that blues band I played in. I played in a couple other bands. And it, it just so happened that Reeves, Rhino Bucket's bass player, was in when it was was in every single band that I was playing with, it seemed. Like, we were just like, the, we were like a team. And uh, 
so at the end of the the end of the 1990s, George enters the picture, and and Rhino, you know, it was Rhino Bucket. I think I think they fell apart around 95, so they had just you know recently fallen apart. So when George came around, he, he wanted to put together a project, but not call it Rhino Bucket. So that's kind of what got it started, and um, we put together a batch of songs and then we did some shows and then that's when I ended up going to jail and that whole thing fell apart because I got taken out of it. So when I got um, through rehab and got sober, all of a sudden George calls me back up and he goes, Hey, uh, Ricky Rackman wants to do this cat house night at this club in, in Hollywood. He, he, and he wants Rhino Bucket to play. Would you, would you want be interested in playing guitar? Because the the original guy Greg didn't want to do it, and I said, "Sure, I'll do it." <laughs> and uh, so I, I learned I learned all their old songs, and um, and I was just going to do that gig and maybe another gig that was after that. And then once I did the gigs, it was like, well, I already know the songs. I might as well keep on doing this. And then we started working on uh, originals, like new songs. And we ended up getting a movie soundtrack. And the next thing I know, I'm in Rhino Bucket. Like I hadn't really even thought about joining them officially, but <laughs> I just thought it was almost like going out with a girl. And the next thing you know, you're that's your girlfriend, you know, without even. <laughs> it was kind of like one of those situations. But it turned out it turned out to be cool because I love playing with those guys. And uh, and you asked, you know, what makes it different than Kicks? You know, it, there's a lot of similarities as far as like the energy and all that, but uh, it's it's a little bit more specialized. Like Kicks is kind of a broad thing. Is there there's some ACDC in Kicks? There's some Aerosmith. There's you know a lot of different influences. Cheap Trick, but but Rhino Bucket is almost like this very ACDC influenced. Yeah, uh, just straight straight ahead raw. And there's something, um, I don't know, there's something about that. It, it really fits my style for one thing. Like with kicks, a lot of times I have to sort of adapt to the song, and uh, which is it's a challenge, and, and I guess it it challenges my guitar playing. But with Rhino Bucket, it was just like it was just right in the pocket. I didn't have to think about it. It was like second nature. And and the other thing is, you know. George plays rhythm guitar and sings. So I was like the sole lead guitar player, which, um, which gave me a little bit of freedom too. Right. Right. And I mean, I got to say the Rhino bucket sound was like you said, it was ACDC. It was early Malcolm. Uh, not, I mean, uh, Bon Scott era type ACDC. And mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, as far as influences were concerned, because you say you have to adapt a little bit for Cheap Trick. I mean, for Kicks, rather. I'm sorry. Um, as far as Kicks, and you have to adapt. But where do your influences come from? Who are your favorite guitar players? Uh, well, I started early on. I mean, I came up through the '60s and, <laughs> and '70s, so uh, you know, like. One of my early influences is, is, of course, like Eric Clapton. But the the person that made the the biggest influence on my rock guitar playing was Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top. Yeah, I sir. love Billy Gibbons. 
and and then when uh, and and a lot of the and the, all the Southern rock guys like Dickie Betts and the, the Leonard Skinner guys, like all that stuff were, were those that was a huge influence on my playing. And then later on, you know, when ACDC came around and I heard Angus, it was like, wow, <laughs> it almost <laughs> sounded like uh, a ramped up version of, of Billy Gibbons. Like they're they're really similar in their styles, and that's what attracted me to it. You know, so yeah, so that kind of that's that's kind of the the scaled down version of all my influences. But I, I have so many of them; it's hard to name all of them. Now, one question I definitely wanted to ask you, and I I, I kick this question around a lot just because it's the the taboo subject. How do you adhere to, or maybe refrain from, like? Uh, Gene Simmons's quote, uh, rock and roll is dead. Do you, do you view that the same way? I mean, it's completely different. We talked about that as far as the scene and the, the ability to make albums, but what is your view on today's rock and roll scene? Uh, um, yeah, it is different and it's, it's a lot more diluted than when I first started. Um, and I think it was Joe Perry that, that said, uh, you know, the longer, the further this goes, the further we get away from the root, like the, right. the root of the music, which was the fi- in the 50s, you know, that's where it started. And uh, so the longer it goes, there's so many more influences that get dumped into it. And um, which, you know, it's not a bad thing, uh, but it, it's hard. It's, it's hard to make it into a scene kind of thing because everybody's yeah. all over the place. But, but, uh, I don't know. As far as modern music, it's for me, I have a hard time with it. And I don't know if it's just cause I'm getting old <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> or, you know, it's like, there are still some really good bands that, that pop up here and there, but most of it, I can't even, I can't even stomach. <laughs> right. Uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm not as open-minded as I used to be when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean that—that's. I kind of agree with you as far as the overall picture of uh, the popular stuff. I, I think there's a lot of great music out there, but I think you kind of got to go searching for it. Um, mm-hmm. I I feel like rock and roll has kind of become the bruise on the arm of society again. It's not commercialized where it was before. Yeah, yeah. As far as modern music, it's like a really formulated. Which yeah. Is, yeah. I mean, I can't even tell who's who anymore half the time. But uh, but the other thing that that kind of messes it up is the is the technology. You know, the whole Pro Tools and the 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 ability to make everything perfect. It just kind of yeah. takes the soul out of the out of the sound. Like the early seventies, if you listen to some of those records. Some of them aren't even in tune, but it gives it that sa- that earthy, like organic sound that's missing right. now. Now it sounds just sterile and mechanical, and you know it's just not the same. So a lot of a lot of older bands, I know you guys aren't doing it, but a lot of older bands are relying on backtracking and uh, different things like that. What are your views on that? Well. Well, it depends on how you use it, really. I mean, we always used a little bit of that, like especially percussion parts or, or say, like keyboard parts. We we have some right. of that stuff, like for, for Don't Close Your Eyes. Um, 
Yeah, it just depends on how a band. If a band uses it like as a crutch, like if they if you took it away and they sounded horrible, <laughs> you know, if that yeah. was their main part of their sound, then yeah, that's not good. <laughs> I mean, a band has to be able to pull it off without that, you know. And uh, I, I also wanted to ask you. You know, it's been basically forty years for Kicks. What's next for you guys? And uh, when do you guys feel like? If you feel it at all, if, if there's ever a time to wrap it up. Well, personally, I'm not going to quit. I'm uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm the, I'm in this for life. I'm in fact, if well, if it weren't for kicks, I'd still be playing with somebody. But uh, no, we don't have any any plans for retiring anytime soon. Anyway, but uh, we're just going to keep trying to. And, uh, you know, as soon as we get through this whole pandemic thing, like who could have seen that coming? That was kind of weird, yeah. but I mean, we were just getting on a roll when that happened and it put, just put the brakes on everything. So, you know, once we get up and running again, we're just going to, I think, keep running with it as lo- as far as we can. Oh yeah. I mean, I honestly got to say the energy is still there. It's still a blast watching you guys. And is there any uh, – have you guys talked to each other or done any kind of Zoom meetings during this whole mess? Have you gotten together and practiced at all? Uh, not. We have done a couple of Zoom meetings just to talk to each other. But but uh, I know it's kind of weird. We had all this downtime, but uh, we didn't, like, do any recording or anything. But I think it's just because we didn't really have anything together to, to record yet. And, right. um, and I, you know, and I live in Nashville and it's, it's, it's hard to get together these days. And, so, uh, I don't any... know, someday... go ahead, man. Oh, go Sorry. Ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, we've talked about doing some new, new music at some point, but, uh, it just didn't happen during this time when we could have done it. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was my, that was my next question. It had been like four years since you guys had a new uh, a, a new legitimate recording. Uh, are you guys any plans as far as getting something new out there? Yeah, we we had definitely talked about it, but you know the the blow my fuse thing came along, and then the then the midnight dynamite remix came along. So the, these little things keep pushing it a little further further out. And you know we're not in a hurry, and we don't want to just throw something out to throw something out there like. You know, we felt that that uh, rock your face off was was really good for you know we were really scared going into that thinking are we going to be able to do this without Donnie, but we we seemed to pull it off we pulled it off so the next one has to be you know as good or better than that and we can't just right. throw something out there. So so I want to ask while we're talking about this, uh, do you have any thoughts as far as I mean we've already said that the the formula has changed in today's music um what are your thoughts as far as getting full-length albums out there there's a lot of bands out there that are just releasing singles and other bands look at albums as almost like the creation of a child um how do you guys what, what do you view on that subject um yeah, that's true. You know, I have not really thought about that, except that, uh, yeah, I guess we've just always, we come from the old school, you know, put <laughs> out a record with 10 songs on it, but I don't know. 
I, I don't see anything wrong with putting out singles. I mean, I guess nowadays because of the streaming and all that, it's just nice to be able to put out a, like a package, the actual physical package, right. you know. And, you know, I'm one of those old heads, same as – and it, it, it's something about having the package in your hand and being able to look through the leaflet that came in, either the CD or the, the – I still collect vinyl and – it's something about holding that package, I think, that that kind of unites a lot of us. Yeah, and and that's a, and even now when I do buy music, occasionally I'll buy a single song from like, you know, iTunes or something. Uh, but if I really like a band and I I want their record, I'll I'll buy the CD or even the vinyl. You know, I still buy vinyl too. Yeah, I mean, the, honestly, I I do a lot of streaming, but if I buy physical copy yeah i'm doing vinyl just i think it's so it sounds so much better on vinyl um any uh, how big into vinyl are you like how much are you collecting of vinyl like what's your favorites well i I don't know if i'm big into it but i've bought a few uh you know recently in the last well 10 years or more i've i've bought a few a few newer uh vinyls but I still have all my old vinyl, so you know I've hung on to all that stuff. So I've got like, well, unfortunately, you know, after I moved to Nashville, I have a there. There's not any bookshelves in this house, and I haven't gotten around to building any, so I have nowhere to put my albums. <laughs> so they're still all in boxes. Man, uh, now have you? Are you doing anything outside of kicks? Are you doing any kind of? Uh jamming with anybody else any kind of solo stuff or are you doing anything outside of the band um not really at the moment um you know rhino bucket's sort of on hold right now um i i do stuff i record stuff here and there with people like i'm in the process of uh doing uh how many songs is it four songs or so for um Eddie Spaghetti from Super Suckers is doing a, a record with this guy in L.A. named Frank Meyer. Uh, um, nice. And they're, they're, so they're calling it Spaghetti and Frank, the the record. So they got me to, to play on like four four songs, I think, four or five, I forget. But they're, nice. they're doing a, co- a cover of um, Heartache, and that's what got them to – get me interested. <laughs> so <laughs> I recorded, I recorded heartache so far and, and one other one, but I'm st- I still got a few left to do on that. And then I've been doing um, here and there. I'll get people reach out to me to do, uh, to do some songs to, and then we release these videos where it's like a virtual video where everybody's in their own space playing. Awesome. I've done a few of those too. Just, just some random cover songs here and there. Now I know one other thing that you do that I've that I've read about and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about it was uh you're you're also in the cooking am I right? Oh yeah, I love I love food and I love to cook. <laughs> Any uh anything in particular you would say is your kind of specialty? Well, right now I'm into meat. I was um I was pescatarian for years. I you know, I which is veg basically vegetarian with fish and gotcha. um, and about uh three three years ago or so three and a half years ago i you know i really got into uh, um exercise you know like the health 
I got into to, to nutrition and all that stuff, and I and I realized that I was missing all these nutrients that that meat provides. So I decided to start eating meat again. And at first, I, I did the keto thing, and you know, to cut out the sugar and, and carbs. Right. And then after that, I honed it down even further, and now I'm like carnivore. All I eat is uh, strictly animal products. So if it doesn't come from an animal, I don't eat it. <laughs> so, now was so that kind when of, you when uh, you went from that pescatarian or what uh, I what the term was, but when you went from that to eating meat, did your body respond any certain way? I, I've heard yeah, stories because, of people maybe getting sick or. No, I didn't get sick. I actually um, because I've been trying to get physically healthy. I, I've been working out for ever since Kicks got back together. You know, I I saw Steve, and Steve was in such good shape. I was like, wow, I better do something. So I started getting into shape. About that time, I started exercising again. But it just wasn't didn't seem to be making a dent. But when I started the first two weeks, like it, within two weeks of starting to eat meat again, it was almost like all my workouts, it just kicked it into overdrive. And all of a sudden, I could see the difference. I could feel the difference. I mean, it was huge. I, um, it's hard to describe, but it was almost like my body going, like, what were you thinking all these years? <laughs> it's like <laughs> my body was just waiting for me to eat a steak, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you, you said you eat all animal products. Like, so what does, a, what does a meal look like if you're, if you're on the same kind of plan that you're on? Well, like a typical meal for me is like steak and eggs, like a big ribeye steak. You know, a couple of eggs and some bacon, and that's it. Gotcha. Really? <laughs> gotcha. So you don't do any vegetables, any starches, nothing? No, I haven't. Not in uh, oh, close to two years now. Wow. Now, do you find yourself having more energy with what you're doing? Yeah, most of the time. There's been a couple of lulls where, where I – you know, go through a period where it was like, man, what's up with me? How come I'm so tired? And then I'd realize my, uh, like my electrolytes were off or something, and I have to adjust gotcha. all that stuff. Uh, I also wanted to ask you, as far as um, young up and coming musicians and bands and anything along that line, any kind of advice that you would give to anybody that's up and coming? Um, well, in this day and age, well, I guess the the, the the basic advice would be like uh um would be for for uh, somebody to not give up you know like for me as a musician it didn't really come like completely natural like it does for some people i really had to work hard at it and and um i had doubts at the beginning like i didn't think i was ever going to figure it out and and really, the the best advice I can give is never give up, no matter what anyone else says around you. And the other thing is, stay true to yourself. Like, uh, don't try to, don't try to like, uh, like especially when it comes to, to songs and stuff like that. Don't try to guess what you think people want to hear. Just play what 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 you feel, and they'll come around eventually if it's good enough. You know. That, no, oh, there can you, you hear are. me? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, but one thing that I want to say, as far as what you just said, and Kix's. Con-
I think I'm losing you. You keep cutting out. Uh, hold on for one. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, sorry about that. Um, as far as kicks, you guys have a big following. A lot of everybody loves to come out to the shows and see kicks. And I've noticed that you guys don't have a lot of chart toppers, a lot of like commercial success in that aspect. But everybody coming out still knows all the music. What do you contribute that to? Well, I guess it's, you know, I guess it's because back in the old days when you had records, <laughs> you know, yep. people would get all the songs. They wouldn't just buy one off iTunes. But, uh, I mean, there's that. And, and you know, we we toured relentlessly, especially back in the old days. I mean, it was just like nonstop. So, uh, you know, we've built up a, a big following. And, and that really helps. I mean, nowadays, and that's the other thing nowadays, it's like, there's hardly anywhere to play and yeah. you know, bands don't really get to tour and unless they're big, you know, but, uh, I mean, we just did it like old school, like, like the Ramones, like in a van with a rider truck full of gear. And we just, just drive, just circle the country, just playing and playing and playing. And it pays off in the end, you know? Absolutely. And, and the, the last question I want to ask you, Brian, is there's been a shift in in venues from what we I mean there used to be the big arenas and most of the bands that were out there would play the big arenas now bands that are playing to massive crowds in Europe or other places overseas are playing small venues here do you prefer the small venues or do you guys like the bigger venues where are you most comfortable um i mean the big Big venues are cool because of the you know the huge crowd. You get to look out there and go, wow. But um, I I'm at home at either place. But I really there's something about a small little sweaty bar that just sounds so good. <laughs> like when I'm on stage, <laughs> it's just like close. Like the the walls are close, the ceilings close, and and it just has this the sound to it that I love. Um, and you kind of lose that on a big stage. It's a little more hectic and, uh, you know, it's, it's a big open space. So it's, right. it's harder to hear stuff, but you know, I wouldn't, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I'll, I'll do either. I don't care. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's just, to me, it kind of, you know, I started questioning it a little bit because I, I feel Badly for the band sometimes when I, I, you see they're playing Wembley or something overseas, and then they're playing a small little place here, and uh-huh. it it just speaks to me volumes as far as the fandom in the United States as as far as rock is concerned lately. Yeah, yeah, I know it is kind of weird, but you know you have to give it to the bands that do do that that they're willing to do that because. Uh, you have to be willing to do that to jump from one, one, you know, one scene to the other. And, and, and we, we did that our whole career. We, we'd get a tour, you know, an arena tour with a band. And then when that was done, we'd go right back to playing clubs again. Now, were you guys, uh, when, when everything shut down, were you guys in the middle of a tour? Who were you, who were you playing with? 
Uh, it was just, uh, you know, our regular thing. We, we, uh, yeah, our calendar was completely full. I mean, 2020 was going to be a great year <laughs> as far as gigs. And, but, but our style of touring these days is their uh, fly dates. So, you know, we'll have a weekend somewhere, like two dates that are close to each other. We'll fly into, say, like if it's in the Midwest, like say fly into Minneapolis and then drive and do a gig one gig and then drive to, to uh, like Chicago and do another gig and then fly home. So right. That's usually, uh, it's usually like weekends and then during the week we're, we're all at home. So it's not like the yeah. old days where you're just out there all the time. <laughs> I hear you. Unless, so, unless you're Rhino Bucket and you're in Europe, then, then it's like seven days a week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you said you guys were on hold. Is there, is there, are we looking at, are you guys going to get back together for, with Rhino Bucket at some point, or are we looking at a permanent hiatus? What, what's the status for Rhino Bucket? Well, it did kind of shut down there for a minute, but then, then I uh, fairly recently I've had a few phone calls with with George, and I think he's getting a little antsy again. So we, we were talking about putting some new songs together. So it looks like we may do another record and maybe another European tour at some point. Oh, that'd be awesome. So Brian, thank you so much for being on tonight, man. I know you, you got all kinds of stuff going and just wanted to, uh, just tell you how grateful I was that you came on the show tonight. Uh, please keep me informed of everything that you guys are doing and, uh, hoping to see you back out on the road soon. Yeah. I hope we get out there soon. And I know there's a lot of fans that have that have been bummed this this past year because they haven't been able to see us or anybody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. So, so thank you so much, Brian. You have a great night and uh, keep in touch. All right, good talking to you. Thanks for having me. Oh man, thank you. Have a great night. All right. Bye bye. Guys, that was Brian Forsythe, man. Very, very happy and uh, blessed to have had him on the show. Uh, we're going to listen to a little bit of Kicks. This is off the latest remix. This is Bang Bang Balls of Fire.
This is Blanche Storm, and if I can be serious for a minute, you're listening to VOC Nation Worldwide. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts also include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hicks, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. Both shows take callers live during the show. And recent guests have included General Adnan, Tito Santana, Haku, Earl Hebner, Danger Sandy Davis, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Brodus Clay, and so many more. Archive free content includes past interviews with huge names like Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter at VOC Nation. This is your amiga, Shelly from Cali. To let you know, you can catch me here on VOC Nation for Shelly Live. You never know what the hell I'm going to be talking about. Sometimes I have guests. Sometimes I let you on in the cheese mess, spill a little tea. Sometimes I cry. You have to tune in to find out why. And I also take your calls. I love chatting with you guys and seeing what the hell you guys are thinking. So meet me here on the VOC Nation. Be there or be square. Rock and Roll Union for the past two years has been the place for rock and roll, new rock and roll, debuting rock and roll, and some of the old classics as well. We have welcomed guests from around the world, national artists and more. We have excited many people by our live events. We've welcomed everybody into the fold, and we continue to do so on a weekly basis. Guys, that is Rock and Roll Union, and that is what we do for you. Saturdays, 6 p.m. Eastern, VOCNation.com. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week, talking dream matches, taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation radio network. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation radio network. Welcome back to the Rock and Roll Union Podcast, guys. I want to say a big thank you to our guests this evening, Brian Forsyth of Kicks and Rhino Bucket. And uh, you heard it here that Rhino Bucket may be getting another album out there, so uh, we'll we'll have to uh, wait and see what happens. So just to touch base a little bit on some up-and-coming things, the Rock and Roll Union birthday celebration is coming up in February. We're going to have a contest, a writing contest. Uh, you'll see more details coming and uh, going to be a great time for everybody. Prizes and uh, a lot of good stuff. Next week 
our guest on the show is going to be local guys, man. I've really got to give the shout out to the local guys. Next week we'll be having Castle Bravo in the house and uh, looking forward to talking, talking to them guys and we'll see where they're at. South Jersey guys, man. So, uh, want to say a big thank you to joining us this evening, guys. And, uh, just remember to be kind to each other, take care of each other, take care of yourselves, and much love, guys. And until next time, remember rock and roll. Have a good week, guys. Mm-hmm.